You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks for at the Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me as always is my good friend and founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. And Frank, uh, we are now to the evening of July 2nd. Kawhi Leonard has still not picked a spot to play next season. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Eastern Conference and kind of how how things look different at this point to wrap up the podcast, but, uh, you know, to start the podcast, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, uh, the Bucks latest edition and then maybe the, the Bucks second to last edition. Uh, cause that kind of happened as we were finishing up recording the other night. Uh, but before I say all that, I will ask you, how are you doing, buddy? I'm pretty good. Um, it's been kind of a letdown now that we don't get like multiple things reported every day of players being added. Um, and especially interesting because the Bucks still, even with the, um, Robin Lopez and Wes Matthews additions still at 12 roster spots. Um, and that's assuming, I'm assuming of course that John Lohr gets, gets stretched, which isn't necessarily going to happen. We'll, we, we kind of need to see how all this actually shakes out, uh, which is maybe the most interesting part. Um, given that it's only July 2nd, as we record this, that, 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 we kind of take a lot of this for granted, but there's actually like a number of different paths the Bucks could still opt for in order to actually sign the guys that we know they're going to sign. So, um, yeah, there's still a lot that can still happen. We still don't really know the fate of that trade exception that they could have created in the Malcolm Brogdon deal. So, um, yeah, there's still a lot of kind of I don't wanna, I don't know if I want to say irons in the fire, but um, but still a lot of things that could happen even with um, a very action packed first. Uh, you know, 24 to 36 hours of free agency. Okay. So, uh, let's see the, the second Lopez brother joins in, uh, right at the end of, uh, of our podcast the other night. So Robin Lopez, uh, comes to Milwaukee for the full room exception. And I guess we, we kind of, I'm not gonna, we spent so much time on so many other things that we didn't really spend a whole lot of time on that. Um, I guess the the thing I just kind of keep thinking about is like, did did the Bucks need a backup center? Like I, I as I look at the roster, it just seems like you know there's a, a heavy rotation of bigs that I would assume all want and or expect playoff like playing time, um, and then I think there's a bunch of like kind of shooting guard types, and then not really any bigger wings um maybe Wesley Matthews helps out with that a little bit um but I I don't know I just found myself thinking like okay it's one for me it's cool that the the Lopez brothers the Lopez's the Lopi I'm not 100% sure um are going to be together but 
did the Bucks actually need a backup center? I guess just kind of what what do you think there? Well, I think they were going to need at least one large human um, to to, uh, to back up Brook Lopez. I mean, we're kind of spoiled. He didn't miss a game until he was rested. What the last game of the season last uh, in April, um, which is interesting because I mean he's a guy who had a couple years lost, kind of early-ish in his career with foot injuries. And, you know, a lot of people were worried about Brooke Lopez being like a guy who just wouldn't be able to be durable and wouldn't be able to play, you know, uh, many minutes and, and or, or be a guy that, you know, missed, you know, 15, 20 games every year. You kind of got that knock. And then he's been remarkably durable, though, for, for years now. And obviously, you just kind of knock on wood, hope that that continues. But, um, you know, I think you do want another legitimate center on the roster that you could roll out if needed. Um, I think the biggest... I think the biggest thing here is, I mean, again, like we talked about the other night right before uh, Robin Lopez came crashing through the wall like the, the Kool-Aid man, um, you know, I would have been comfortable going with Giannis, Brooke, and then DJ Wilson and Ursan being kind of the primary big man backups and running basically a four-man backup, or sorry, four-man big rotation. Um, we saw obviously throughout the year, there were many times where it was essentially a five-man big rotation. Um, you know, I mean, early in the season, we had John Henson, Anton Maker playing in addition to Brooke Lopez, and obviously kind of as different guys cycled through different different rotations kind of happened. And um, especially with Giannis getting small forward minutes again last year, you know, that, that was more doable. We saw you know, Giannis, Ursan, Brooke lineups. We saw these kind of like jumbo lineups. So, um, again, like you could have certainly five big-ish guys that you rotate and play most nights. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I think one of my concerns is just like, does this mean, you know, DJ Wilson gets blocked again and we don't really get to figure out kind of what dimension DJ Wilson might be able to add to this team. Um, again, I think if it's motivation for him to play hard and take things seriously and continue to put in the work over the summer, then that's not a bad thing. Um, but also, I mean, Brooks a little bit different or sorry, Robin's a little bit different too, because he is a traditional center. And so it's, you know, much more like when the Bucks had Henson and Thon and, uh, and Brooke at the beginning of last season, when then you know at the end of last year where it was like you know you had Nico Ursan and DJ all kind of scrambling to get backup minutes um, behind Brooke and and Giannis and really only one true center on the you know that that really ever played so I think it's good to have the option of playing a real center um, again like is that really an ideal rotation I'm not sure I'm not sold on that um, but you know, so again like I said we were reacting to it in real time I prioritized a center with my room exception given that was kind of my biggest you know, slug of, of money I, I still had left over. No, I wouldn't have. Um, does getting Wes Matthews, who we'll talk about in a minute here, for the minimum make me feel, you know, better about signing Rolo for, for the, the room exception? I'd say yes. Um, and obviously there's still a number of things that they can do around the margins here as well. So, um, you know, again, maybe not fit-wise the most logical thing you could do. Um, but I think fundamentally with free agents, like the first two questions I always ask are, is this player actually like a good basketball player? <laughs> like, you know, do you actually want this guy in your team or not? Uh, and then the second one always is, you know, okay, like yeah. financially, is this like a deal that is actually like a reasonable deal or is this like an overpay or whatever? And I don't think it was really an overpay, even with the second year player option. I mean, you know, I, I'm sure you'll have no problem if, if, you know, trade deadline comes and for some reason you, you know, you want to get rid of Robin Lopez. I'm sure you could do that for expiring or a second round pick, you know, something like that where I don't think you're going to, you're not going to have to dump his salary for like a pick or something like that to in order to get rid of it, right? So I, I think those, you know, it, it passes those two tests. And so I think, again, like the 
fit question certainly i mean is a fair one that i you know immediately was what jumped out of my to me um but again good player you know reasonable player um i think we'll see if he shoots threes more he's had uh, you know had a number of years where he's been a very good mid-range shooter but has never really stretched out to three um so i think that's going to be an interesting thing does he have sort of that like john henson type um renaissance shooting threes he has that phenomenal three-point celebration that we love so much the the high tea loose leaf tea drinking thing i think he, he we saw an explanation of so i i think uh he's again like a good piece to have on the team obviously like personality wise he's hilarious um his twitter feed is incredibly uh funny and just weird and strange and interesting. there are simpsons gifts everywhere which delight me yes um there's a whole thing that he went on about um baseball being played in london and whether you know now baseball is going to become popular and whether that would impact our ability to vets uh vet spies because now everyone around the world will know baseball um just random stuff like that which like how does how do people you know how does he even think of that like i love it um especially because brooke doesn't isn't on twitter uh we obviously need at least one lopez brother on twitter so um it'll i'm sure make your trips to the locker room more interesting and um and again you're not going to sign a guy for that. i'm not going to say it's a great signing because of the amusement factor or the novelty factor but um certainly something that uh you know is uh you know it's a nice bonus right and i think just culturally um you know you like having him around he's a guy that you know even in chicago never said like get me out of here buy me out you know whatever he just did his job, put his head down. Um, interestingly, he did have a joke. I think he tweeted out like Wesley Matthews dot dot dot. But why? Uh, and at first, I was like, "That's kind of that's kind of like random." But then I I realized that he actually played with Wesley Matthews on the Blazers, and he actually had a tweet recently where um, he said there was someone was asking about uh, locker room leaders who gave like big speeches, and he had some like gif like Simpsons thing about people giving big speeches, and he said. Uh, in the Blazers locker room, that was Wes Matthews, and in the, the Bulls, and you know all the other Knicks and all the other weird places that that Robin Lopez has been, he felt like he was that guy. So they have a good relationship as well. So just a kind of random tidbit, uh, you know, with with the two most recent Bucks signings. So I'm I'm fine with it. Look, you know, who knows if Brook Lopez, you know, is out for two months or something like that, you're going to be really happy you have Brook Lo- or Robin yeah. Lopez. Um, you hope it doesn't come to that, but again, like you know, we can kind of do our like idealized, you know, when everybody's healthy type scenarios, but we know that, you know, typically that's, that's not the way the world works. Things happen. Guys get foul trouble, you know? And so again, maybe he's a little more expensive of an insurance policy than you'd like, but you know, I I think he's going to play a lot. And if he can play defense like Robin and, or like Brooke and, you know, do anything close to what Brooke does um, offensively, um, you know, again, I don't think he's any space in the floor like Brooke does, but um, you know, we know he can be an effective player and, uh, and that's, that's a positive. All right, uh, let's move on to Wesley Matthews. That was not news that we knew when we recorded uh, late Sunday night. Uh, That occurred on Monday afternoon. Uh, Wesley Matthews, who spent last season with the Mavericks and uh, the Knicks and then the Pacers, um, 12.2 points per game last season. Uh, 2.5 rebounds per game, 2.3 assists per game. Uh, 
on his career, a 38% three-point shooter. Uh, I believe if I remember the stat I quoted at my article in The Athletic about it, uh, 150 or more threes in the last seven seasons here in the league. And um, I, I the first thing I'll say is uh, hopefully you've seen him play since he put on a Mavericks uniform. Like that that to me is important. Like I, I truly hope you're not imagining him uh, in a Portland trailblazers uniform, just because he has not been the same athletically since he tore. Uh, I think it was, I can't remember which leg, but in Achilles uh, with the Portland trailblazers at the end of the 2014, 15 season. So he's not as explosive as he's been. Um, I think there's some thought that he isn't, you know, really even close to the the player that he used to be, and I think that that's probably fair. Um, but he has continued to get opportunities. He has continued to play a bunch of minutes. Uh, last year, he averaged thirty minutes a night, so uh, he still does have that within him. But I thought the the celebratory tone on Twitter would suggest to me that, um, you know, people were thinking he was maybe a little bit better than a guy that signed for the vet minimum. Um, that, that, I don't know, like that, that was just kind of, and again, like I'm not trying to say it's not, it's not very good value. I think it very well could be, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm just not sure we're, we're in a spot where we're going to see, Wesley Matthews play 30 minutes a night for the Milwaukee Bucks next year. No, and I think we, we should hope that he does not, right? I think, um, yeah. you know, follow, following my Mav fan friends uh, who are kind of from the Mavs blogosphere, like um, Kirk Henderson from Mavs Moneyball, I know um, I, I'm used to him, to Kirk complaining a lot about Wesley Matthews the last couple of, last few years. Um, mm-hmm. I'm used to him tweeting a lot of that uh, from the office, Stanley dribbling the basketball uh when they had the game in the uh warehouse uh so i I, if you are not familiar with that it it is not a compliment of wesley matthews ball handling and uh you know off the dribble creation abilities let's say um but i think i think a lot of i think a lot of the kind of probably the warts on wes's game are related to just like the role he's had and the fact that i mean he's like what was the stat we were talking about like eight or nine straight years of 30 plus minutes per game like he has continued to play huge amounts of minutes and take on kind of roles that are probably outsized relative to what he should be playing um, because of that. So being on a team where, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know exactly how much he's going to play. Like, you know, again, it's pretty wide open at that kind of shooting guard, small forward kind of backup spot behind Chris Middleton. You know, someone is going to start at the two who uh, did not start last year and someone has to back up Chris Middleton and, I think he's going to be in that mix, right? I mean, I don't, I don't think there's really any, any scenario that would be completely shocking to me. We saw, you know, Sterling Browns get a lot of run with the first team as the first guy off the bench for a while behind Brogdon. Uh, Pat Connaughton started games late in the season when there were injuries uh, and obviously played well at various points, especially late in the season. 
um, you know, Dante DiVincenzo, teacher's pet, first man off the bench early in the season. And we've seen flashes of him that have been encouraging, if not maybe the shooting we'd like. Uh, and now obviously Wes Matthews being thrown in that mix. I think George Hill is the only guy I would expect not to start, uh, even though he's probably the best player out of that group, just because of what Bud likes to get from him as a starter or sorry, as a six man. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's going to have a chance to play. So if he's playing, you know, 18 to 22 minutes per night rather than 30 minutes per night, that's probably a good thing um, on both ends. Uh, I think the one dynamic thing he does is the one thing you want the most with Giannis though. And that is just let it fly. I mean, he's a blue square guy. He can shoot from wherever and he will shoot, um, you know, without feet perfectly set without being wide open. And that's really the one thing that you would say, okay, if you're, if you're basically saying like, well, we lost Malcolm Brogdon, we're throwing Wes Matthews into the mix. That's the one thing he does better than Malcolm in terms of being able to be a little bit more dynamic um, in terms of getting threes up. I think they were pretty much identical last year in terms of their three-point shooting off the catch. Um, they were both great off the catch. I think Malcolm was like 47, 45, and, and Wes was 45% catch and shoot, um, or, or at least on open catch and shoot. Um, so he definitely kind of fills fills a need there. Um, maybe more, more appropriate would we say he, he fills Tony Snell's gap there. Um, that might be a more fair way to think of it, which probably isn't that appealing to Bucks fans to think of him as a Tony Snell replacement, given you had to pay to get off of Tony Snell's contract. But, um, but look, he's a, a very good shooter. And I think the thing about him defensively is he's really strong. You know, um, he's obviously not a guy who's going to lock down like a point guard at this point. Um, but especially against twos and threes, he's, he's really strong. And I think again, playing in a system where he's now playing for a winning team, he's going to have to really compete for minutes. You hope that that hopefully brings out the best in him defensively as well. He was once a very good defender. Obviously I think he's trailed off a bit there. Um, so again, I think he's a guy that can fit in as a role player on a very good team and, you know, hopefully being on a team that is competing for at the very highest levels, you hope that that will kind of bring out the best in him. And uh, yeah, I, I would agree. I think there's probably a, in part because of the um, the local angle, uh, as well as the sort of um, people thinking back to what Wes used to be in the NBA. There's probably a bit more um, optimism about Wes Matthews, and probably there should be. But again, I think if you just calibrate your expectations that he's going to be a guy that can shoot catch and shoot threes, space the floor around Giannis, um, and get up threes at really high volumes. And again, if you don't need him to uh, do stuff with the ball, if you don't ask him to post up, which I think was a common complaint as well, that kind of Rick Carlisle and uh, I think even the Pacers like gave him post up touches, which didn't make a lot of sense. If you can get away from doing that stuff. Um, hopefully, you can maximize sort of what he still is, and you know, for the minimum, given what the Bucks have to work with financially, I mean, that's I can't really find I think find much to complain about given his experience and um, you know the fact that he's obviously seen kind of everything at this point. Yeah, I think that's what's going to be really interesting to me is. Um, so uh, at the athletic, they've kind of asked me to put together like my projected depth chart, and you know, like I didn't really know what to do with all of the guys that are shooting guard, small forward types. Like, as you know, I was trying to think through Sterling Brown, Dante Divincenzo, Pat Connaughton, and then Wesley Matthews. I I really struggled with it because uh, you know. Connaughton had that huge Boston series and then looked pretty human against the Raptors. Uh, Sterling started against the Pistons and then the first game of the Celtics series and then just 
didn't really ever look right. I don't think ever looked pro- really all that healthy the rest of the postseason. Uh, and then there was a number of games that we didn't see him. Wesley Matthews comes in, coming off of, as you mentioned, pretty much always starting in – or uh, yeah, pretty much always starting like and always having like 30 minutes a game. That's – that's something that's it's not nothing. Uh, and I think it speaks to a, a kind of role expectation for someone that does that. Uh, and then Dante DiVincenzo was the first guy off the bench in the first game of the season last year. And that says something as well. So just kind of going through all of that, you start to think, okay, how does, how does this shake out? Like, how does this actually end up going? Because, you could go, you could go a bunch of different, a bunch of different directions there because you have so many different options that, you know, I, I think we'll probably see some of them start at different times this year. I think we'll probably see some of them get injured at times this year, and like uh, very much like those, you know, just kind of like months where someone new was filling that role. Uh, we saw it throughout the year. I think we see that again with that backup small forward and then also like starting shooting guard spot uh, this year with the Bucks. And I just think it'd be really interesting to see uh, how Wesley Matthews fits in there. But I, to me, the, the one thing that stands out is uh, I think he can be physical defensively and that helps cover for, his feet that have obviously gotten a little bit slower over the years, but offensively just uh, uh, incredibly quick trigger and an incredibly being an incredibly willing shooter from three, even deep as a member of the bucks is, is huge. And, you know, we saw that with, with Lopez and Miritich. And, and I think we obviously tried to accentuate that a little bit more with them because it is so strange for bigs to shoot out to that level. But, when you look at, you know, uh, pretty much all the the guards and wings that the Bucks have, those are very normal three point shooters, and and what I mean by normal is, you know, like those are, those guys don't really take deep threes. It, like for a guy like Eric Bledsoe, there'd be no reason to because teams don't really respect him at the three point line. So why go two feet even further back? Like just just toe the line, Malcolm Brogdon. We've talked about for a while. He's he's kind of a toe the line guy. This year he did bump it back a little bit, but certainly not to the same extent. You're going to see uh, a guy like Wesley Matthews at at Chris Middleton. This was like the first year we, I think we've really seen him obviously shoot a whole bunch of threes, but also shoot off the dribble threes and do some weird stuff there. Uh, it, to me, like just Pat Connaughton was like the one guy. Uh, on the the wing spot, Tony Snell, the guy you mentioned, I thought was a very normal three point shooter. Just he he did get him up, he did get threes up, and uh, he was a willing shooter when he was out there. But pretty normal threes, like I think Wesley Matthews, uh, the the very willing trigger and the willingness to shoot him from deep, I think ultimately does matter and and does have an effect on on how defenses cover them. So. Um, I think that'll be interesting to watch. Anything else with Wesley Matthews? No, I mean, I think, uh, you know, with, with both these signs, I think one one trend continuing, obviously, is the 
the fact that the Bucks are are becoming a pretty old team, you know. Um, yeah, obviously, Giannis is still the the center of everything. Chris is still squarely in his prime at 27, going on 28. Um, and then you've got kind of a number of the young guys in Sterling, DJ, and and Dante, who are obviously in their you know still early, edging towards mid 20s. Um, but other than that, you know, a lot of veterans on this team, and obviously, I think that means. Um, some positive things in terms of you have a lot of experience on this team. I mean, a year ago, think about how often we talked about, well, there's nobody on this team that's done anything, <laughs> you know, especially early in the season before they got George Hill. It was, wow, they, none of these guys have really won anything, really gone past the first round of the playoffs. Um, and so obviously now this team has done that. And, you know, you've added a couple guys here in, in the off season who have been around the block um, and, uh, and retained obviously Hill, essentially a little bit at the expense of, of Brogdon, who obviously was, was not super young, but at 26 going on 27 was obviously um, younger than, than a number of the other guys that, that we're talking about. So um, yeah, I mean, again, we talk about the evolution of, of teams and, you know, you go from having kind of lots of young pieces and you try to figure out who's going to stick around and, um, and then you kind of get older and you just try to keep the guys who are good that, that got you to, to the success you have. Um, And now the Bucks sort of, you know, kind of going over, that inflection point a bit more towards also signing guys who, uh, who obviously are, are proven commodities. And so, um, you know, again, it kind of means that you're going to have to do more recycling in on those sort of peripheral parts of the rotation, sort of as you, you know, as Giannis moves sort of from his early prime to his mid prime to his late prime, you know, obviously fewer and fewer of the guys on the roster now are probably going to be around in three or four years. Um, but again, this sort of reflects the fact that the window in uh, the league is obviously for the Bucks right now. And uh, I'm sure a lot of teams thinking similarly, just given what we've seen with the injuries to Golden State's key guys uh, a couple weeks ago. And then obviously just with the, the crazy free agent movement that we've been seeing here over the last uh, last couple of days. All right. So I want to talk a little bit about the Eastern Conference. Both of us wanted to kind of do a quick one. Uh, we know that it's a holiday week and... Uh, people are going to start sneaking away for Fourth of July uh, type stuff. So um, we're going to try to keep it pretty quick here. Um, but we kind of wanted to talk just briefly about the Eastern Conference. And I guess this is the way that I will do it and try to keep it brief. Um, if you look at the odds for NBA championship, again, it'll depend where you look, but most places, I believe, still have the Bucks as the odds-on favorite to represent the Eastern Conference. Uh, Bucks, uh, the place I'm looking at right now, um, which is uh, BetOnline.ag, uh, Milwaukee Bucks at eight to one, Brooklyn Nets at nine to one, Philadelphia 76ers at nine to one, uh, Raptors at ten to one, Celtics at fourteen to one. And Pacers at four D to one, four zero to one. Um, does all of that sound like? Do do you still view the Bucks as the favorite in the Eastern Conference, or has enough happened in the Eastern Conference, and there's enough teams that are in that mix that you just aren't willing to say that? Okay, the the Bucks are the team that should come out. I think um, I think the Bucks are probably the safest bet at this point. Like I think it, it's sort of you know you can probably look at it different ways, right? Like. I think um, I, I think the Bucks are probably the safest bet, especially like if you know. I don't know if you get different answers about who's going to win the East versus who's going to have the most wins in the East, right? Like those are a little bit different things. Sure. Um, certainly, when LeBron was in Cleveland, like you know, they never 
won the most games in the East, but they always came out and went to the finals. I don't think there's a team like that at this point here. I think um, if Kawhi goes back to Toronto, I imagine you'll see the Raptors again load manage the hell out of that team and probably not feel like they have to go all out in the regular season to get as many wins as possible, especially coming off a championship season. Um, but I also think it's incredibly hard to repeat in this league. Um, you know, anytime it really in any sport, like anytime a team wins a championship, my view is put money on whoever didn't win it. That seems like the best because repeating is just so hard. So um, I think, you know, again, even if Kawhi comes back, you know, do I think the the Raptors should be favored? You know, you can make the argument just from a like respect perspective, like, okay, you know, it goes through them fine. Um, but in terms of like what's actually going to happen, um, I, I think, again, the Bucks are actually pretty well positioned there. I think Philly's probably the most interesting team other than the Bucks, um, just because they were obviously a very talented team last year, very top heavy team last year. They still are <laughs> very top heavy. And especially heavy because they have just tons and tons of enormous dudes. Um, a friend of the pod uh, and writes to Ricky Sanchez, uh, main guy, Mike Levin, uh, had a joke on Twitter today after they signed Kylo Quinn and said he really liked Kylo Quinn and he looked forward to him being the first guard off the bench for the Sixers um, because that's sort of <laughs> you know, that's sort of where the Sixers are. I don't, I don't know if they've officially gotten TJ McConnell back or if that's just sort of, sort of something they're considering. Um, but, you know, Ben Simmons... Okay, yeah, obviously that makes you weird just in general because you have a 6'10 guy who initiates all the offense. Um, but, you know, now you're replacing J.J. Redick, whose role as the designated spacer, shooter, gravity, you know, chase him around uh, screens guy um, is, you know, he's gone. He's going to New Orleans. I thought that was a huge loss. I mean, as, a, as an Eastern Conference fan, um, I was thrilled when I saw New Orleans sign J.J. Redick because I thought that's a huge blow to uh to what the the Sixers tend to do and Josh Rich, Josh Richardson is really good. So I was like bummed when I found out they were getting him in the Jimmy Butler sign and trade. I was like, you know, I saw Jimmy Butler sign and trade. I was like, oh, hopefully this is just like, you know, for like a first round pick or some, something like that, but for them to actually get, you know, a, a an above average starter was disappointing uh as someone who roots against the Sixers, but um but he's, you know, he's not a shooter in any way like like JJ is. Obviously, he's much more of a two-way guy. So that team is interesting. And, and then we haven't even talked about Horford, right? Who um, I can see the argument of, you know, if you're uh, the Sixers and you, you know, see what Horford's done against them and, and beat specifically, like, why not, why not get him? <laughs> so he can't beat you. Um, yeah. And I, I let's just say this. I'm happy that the Celtics are now basically without any type of um, sort of rim protection. I mean, they've traded Al Horford and Aaron Baines for Ennis Cantor at last check. So, uh, the, the Celtics are, you know, as much as, you know, they've got Kemba and they've obviously got some of these young guys who I think will get better. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I, I can't really take them that seriously as contenders with, with kind of what they have now. Um, so I think looking at, uh, Philly though, it's weird, right? Because I mean, like if you're playing the Bucks, we've seen them put Embiid on, on Giannis, right? So that they can basically single cover Giannis. And obviously Giannis has still scored just a, shit ton of points on this. 97 points the last two games of them trying to do that um but i don't think it's a bad strategy weirdly because i think you know again it forces Giannis to sort of do everything and Embiid is is i think one-on-one very capable um but now it's like i okay i guess they put horford on Giannis, which obviously horford has had success at times um but then joel Embiid is guarding brooke lopez so it's like maybe they still put Embiid on him and make 
while Horford guard Brooke Lopez. So matchup wise, I don't think it necessarily really scares me all that much. And, you know, if they want to try to play Al Horford post-ups against Giannis, if, you know, and play that advantage, like, okay, you know, you want to try to do that. That's fine. So I don't know if, um, I don't know if the, the kind of some of Philly's parts is, is any, or, you know, kind of the whole um, is, uh, is any bigger than the sum of its parts there. They have a lot of intriguing talent with Harris coming back as well. Um, but they still feel extremely top heavy. And I think again, losing Redick and his shooting and my God, did just watching JJ Redick hit off balance shot after off balance jump shot mm-hmm. against the Bucks this year. I was just like, how does this guy not shoot like 60% from the field and 50% from three? Cause it certainly felt like that against the Bucks. I mean, he's just a sensational shooter. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic and I think they need a, they need Ben Simmons to really take a big step, I think, because it didn't happen last year. And I think he's got the talent to do that, but um, whether he has the kind of innate drive and, killer mindset to do that uh i don't know we know what Giannis probably thinks of that um <laughs> so it's it's uh it's an interesting question because they've got you know no shortage of you know defensive bodies they can throw at people um with so many plus defenders big defenders on that team now but uh whether that translates into you know being a, a title winner i don't know but i think they're at least in that conversation and other than that i mean you know that that's the interesting thing right going into last year we thought bucks had to really you know, kind of dethrone or at least leap past Toronto, Philly, and Boston going into this season. Boston's sort of, you know, on the peripheries of, of that discussion at this point. Um, Toronto could be out of it entirely depending on what Kawhi does. And then obviously Philly's kind of the one the one other kind of team that's sort of left standing alongside the Bucks. So it's an interesting sort of dynamic where, you know, I think Indiana's better. Um, but like, you know, is there any other team you look at that say like, oh yeah, that team is now like, you know, competing with the Bucks and Sixers again, um, unless Kawhi comes back, I, I think those two teams are, are just, you know, just clearly ahead of everybody else. Yeah. And the Nets are a team that gets in like interest in there, but it's to me, like, well, it's, is Katie going to be out the whole year? And also by the time Katie uh, does come back, if he does come back next year, by the time he does come back, like, will will Kyrie have led them to where they need to go? Um, like the third member of your big three is DeAndre Jordan. Um, it's not that's not really a big three. Um, that is two guys and one of their friends. Um, so I like I to me I think it's gonna be really interesting to watch. But yeah, I think you summed it up pretty well. And also I want to try to keep this short. So that's gonna be it. That'll be it for us for tonight. Uh, we'll. Reach back out to you uh, after the 4th of July. We'll see if there's some more news to be made. Uh, as Frank mentioned, just 12 roster spots take, uh, spoken for at this point for the Bucks. Right, so we'll have to see um, how they fill those out. Those are all be minimums, um, but we'll see how they do it. Maybe, uh, I don't know, not 100% sure. So we can watch all that in the, in the coming days because... Uh, I think everyone's guess is is just that, a guess. So uh, we'll talk to you after that. Enjoy the fourth. Stay safe. Uh, for Frank Men, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you guys later.